Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button. So give it a minute, see if uh get some folks on. Shout out to the soccer team. Looks like everybody's winning conference around here. The football team, um, I have to admit, I told coaches past week with some things going on in my personal life and pandemic, it's been, man, last night was a ton of fun. A lot of fun to watch. Just, uh, you know, kind of uh, hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel coming out of COVID. So just weird football and soccer in the spring <laughs> so okay let's go ahead and jump in uh if you get a chance to watch this if you um you know jump forward a couple of minutes to get into the bible study i'm sorry for last week i meant to upload a it just didn't take um a video in place of my live devotional because i was going to be out of town I went up and saw my parents, um, saw my mom, actually. So, um, And this sort of resonates with a lot of things that we felt in the last year. Yea, though we walked through the valley of the shadow of death, that every day there's, as scary as it is for us, there's some interaction with death or the reality of death, the opportunity of death that um, may not actually be death, but something feels like, you know, as they... Mention to people all the time, you may not reach the sea, but you know where the water's going, right? Like you, you can see it go under the bridge and you know that it's just passed. And that has a little bit of, of mortality baked in uh, each and every day. So today uh, I'm going to kind of give you a prequel to tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to get into a little bit more depth. Um, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if you get a chance to read it, it is the most complex story of the gospel, and most people overlook what Paul is um, diving into in 1 Corinthians 15. The point is, he's writing this before the gospels are written. This is somewhere in 55 uh, AD, and when he writes the letter to the Corinthian church, he's dealing with their struggles as a church, and and so when we read the gospels, we go, well, why can't he just go back and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and talk about it and kind of figure it out? He doesn't have those. It, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are sort of these, these um, oral traditions being told, talked about, shared. And then Paul writes the letter to Corinthians. So this is actually one of the first full length, if you will, gospel retellings in writing. Paul is writing 1 Corinthians to the church to tell them to fix some things. And one of the things he wants to, to fix is that they sort of had this laissez-faire attitude about death. Um, it's kind of like America today. It really was like Roman culture that sort of uh, death was an afterthought. We don't really, the Greco-Roman culture, Greeks especially, more about philosophy and understanding who we are in the moment. And kind of let death take care of itself. You could acknowledge this with their emphasis on priests, uh, with their religions. Um, you have something like Pharaoh and Egypt, and it was all about mummification and what you prepare for that uh, the death and the afterlife. Um, 
that it's not a good thing. It's, it's kind of a balance between this, but how much you emphasize the the afterlife and yet how much you, you don't put off this life and the things that we're supposed to be doing um, or can do. And yet you kind of get the sense that uh, Roman culture, especially for the elites, was lived in the moment. It's like, hey, we're doing great with what we have now. Um, let's not worry about what is to come. And there was this constant philosophizing about life and the meaning of life, but ultimately it didn't really dive into. So this idea of Jesus for the early church and to understand that Jesus actually died, right? This is not some ivory tower, pie in the sky, philosophical discussion. This is Paul saying Jesus did in fact die. And if he died, then what happened next? And if, if all he did was die, then what does that accomplish? But if he rose from the dead, as the Gospels, as the Apostles, as Paul says, the least of which, but an Apostle, one who experienced and encountered Jesus, is that all for none? Is it just a lie? Is it fabrication? So he really pushes in on the Corinthian church by restating the Gospel. And I want to highlight what he mentions here as it comes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 12. But tell me this, since we preach the Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead, right? Catch that, they're just sort of talking about, well, really life is still for now. Jesus is a good parable, a good story to tell, but is there really any resurrection after we die? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. This is what you find with um, uh, the case for Christ. Lee Strobel uh, is challenged. You can see the movie. And one of the things that he's challenged in the movie is, hey, if you want to disprove Christianity, all you have to do is disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. That is the fulcrum on which everything else stands. And if Christ has not been raised, then what are we preaching for? Our faith is useless. We apostles will be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, right? None of this makes any sense. But he goes on to point out, you see, as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has come through another man. Just as everyone dies because we belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised first, then all who belong to Christ shall be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom to God over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles death beneath his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Okay, so people always ask a little bit of this passage. They'll say, well, does that mean that he's saying that everybody falls asleep until the Jesus returns, and that's the ultimate resurrection? Um, that has some, some weak support to it. It is more likely that Paul is pushing back that since they believe that when you die, that there's no transition into afterlife, that they're sort of negating it. And so he's playing into that a little bit, and he goes, you know what, if you're going to die— and there is no afterlife, or there is no resurrection of the dead. What are we, what are we celebrating for? Um, some theologians say, well, we're not raised until Christ comes back and, and puts death finally as, uh, in its place and is no more. Um, but there's a lot of scriptures that reference that the immediacy, as Jesus really the one we go to, is when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, 
today you'll live with me in paradise, right? So that today, that immediacy of death into afterlife. But more importantly is this context of death and glorification. So hear the symmetry that Paul's referencing. Adam isn't simply just a person God created for good humor. Adam is a Mago Dei. Adam and Eve, he created them male and female in his image. We talk about this all the time, but grasp this. They represent the glory of God. Now, I especially love Psalm 8, where Paul is referencing it. He's making Psalm 8 a messianic psalm. It wasn't written that way. Psalm 8 doesn't have that, that even when it was written, this idea of this Christology. It's just simply referencing that he made humans a little bit in this in-between, better than the rest of creation, but beneath the angels, if you will. But he does say he puts all creation under their feet. Well, that's what Adam and Eve would represent, the glory of God that would be acting like God on behalf of God in subduing the earth and governing the earth and all that is in it. So you find that Adam is this glorification only to fail at doing it and usher in death. Now, this is true. For, we see this all the time. Every time we turn around, there's some sort of sin, the shadow of sin. We know that death is lurking. We see it in, in what we call by indirect suffering. So um, when somebody suffers from cancer, we say, well, you know, who, who did this? Well, no one person did it, but by Adam and Eve's sin, by ushering in sin, they usher in the curse. The curse is sort of this, everything is this entropy. Everything is leading to this sort of disorder and decay. And you say, well, what's, what's countering that? What's the negentropy that is offsetting entropy? And I always laugh because I say, well, you've got to have something of reasonable thought, right? Like this is one of the things that always is, is the challenge to atheism when you say, well, what is challenging everything leading to chaos? What has to be the thoughtfulness of people, the reason of people who are coming up with better ideas to push back on that, that slow uh, process towards death and decay? Well, that's because we were created a Mago Day. Still within us is the Spirit of God to push back, to find restraint against death, to live. What God said, even though Adam and Eve would ultimately die, he said, but I'm still going to give you another chance to have a chance at life. So you're going to have children, but it's going to be hard and it's going to be laborious and you're going to work the ground and create food for your family, but that's going to be hard and you're going to be over all of creation. But Genesis 3.15, the serpent will strike your heel, even though you will ultimately crush its head. So Paul is just putting this whole gospel story together to say, look, through one person who had glorification came death. So through death should be restored glorification. This is such a powerful symmetry that is you can't separate. It is inseparable, but only one is insurmountable. The inseparable, inseparable part about death and glory is what we know is true of life. What do you enjoy? What do you want out of life? What part of your life can you receive without some sort of sacrifice? You know, I, I, it's sort of true across the board. People want to do uh, sports, and you go, you're not going to be great at the game. You got to put in the practice. You got to put in the sacrifice. You got to get up on those those days you don't want to get up. You got to stretch it into the afternoon. I mean, I remember after practices thinking that I, I just hadn't 
figured out the free throw or, um, you know, a, a different stance or position or working hard or something. So you stay later. You know, as they say, the first to get there and the last to leave, those are the ones that are the players that exceed in excellence. They have to put in that sacrifice. There's there's a part of them that has to die, an expectation of how they'd otherwise want to live. They give that up. We know that as parents, there's a lot of what goes into losing your life so that you can create life and give life and give a child an opportunity to thrive. But it doesn't come as just sort of a, a you know coexistence. You get to continue to go out and live your single adult life. And by the way, you'll also have children. There's something you choose to give up and sacrifice. So then you have this opportunity to create life and to raise the children that you love. That's the death and glorification. What is insurmountable, and most people think, is death because everybody dies. But that's not what Paul's referencing. He's saying what's insurmountable is death to God. And so if death to God is, is not possible, if glory is insurmountable, not death, then those who follow in Christ's footsteps by the power of the Holy Spirit, they experience, they experience what is insurmountable, which is glorification as well. So as we were created and we're in the image of God, and we know sin and corruption create death and the shadows of death and the things that we want we know we have to sacrifice for. God says ultimately that will end in glorification. The ultimate sacrifice is somebody who lays down his life for another. But I want to really highlight this conclusion of, of death and glorification as Paul is referencing it, because most people will think, well, that's how it's supposed to end, because Paul does reference when Jesus comes back and he puts death finally under his feet. But then you can't take away that Jesus has already done that. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? When he rose from the grave, he conquered death once and for all. Oh, well, but people are still dying, right? We're still going to have a mortal death. Okay, so here's the biggest part. And I'm going to enjoy this tomorrow in the sermon in a little more detail. But there are two deaths and there are potentially two lives. The question that is always asked that is a question of death is what happens when we die? Well, if you suffer the spiritual death first, you already know the physical death is going to happen. The question about a spiritual death is, is that going to happen before you physically die or is it going to happen after you physically die? The acknowledgement of the two people on the cross, the two thieves on the cross, one likely was not willing to surrender to faith to Jesus, to who Jesus proclaimed to be. He was argumentative. He was selfish. When he died, it is likely that he then had his spiritual death, which was his condemnation. But Jesus says to the other thief, today you will live with me in paradise. Somewhere at some point on that cross, the thief surrendered to a spiritual death. At that point, even as he would have the fullness of Jesus Christ in the glory of eternal life, he received glorification. He is in the moment being renewed and glorifying God. So what is insurmountable? Yes, eternal life that is planned for us. But if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord Savior, if you've died, and that is why Jesus says, take up your cross daily, because in doing it daily, again, people reference the scripture, they go, oh my gosh, why would I want to die daily? Why would I want to keep suffering? In the willingness 
to lay down your life, in your willingness to be humble, in your willingness to offer apologies when you make mistakes instead of making excuses and finding ways to defend what you know not to be right. In those, those many deaths, if you will, that taking up your cross, people then in the early church knew the gospel. The gospel wasn't taking up your cross because it ended in death. Taking up your cross was because through death was glorification. That's what the book of Acts is all about. The apostles were set on fire because they realized that Jesus' death led to his resurrection, which offered them the same power if they followed in Jesus' footsteps. So now you, re, you, you reconsider this, um, what it means to take up your cross. You say, oh my goodness, if I am willing to ultimately take on a spiritual death, meaning die to Christ and to die is to gain, right? So now that I live in Christ, I get that glorification every day. So my question for you this morning is, are you living with the constant fear of death? Or are you just surrendering to it and saying, God, I can't fix this world. I can't hold back the tide of sin and depravity. But I will surrender to it. And then through it, I will see how your spirit is exalted. That there is glorification, not for what will ultimately be once and for all, but can be today. It's a pretty thick text if you get a chance to read 1 Corinthians 15. But understand that death and glorification are inseparable. And only one is insurmountable. And trust me, don't assume that it's death itself. What will never be undone is Jesus' glorification. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.